Hi, my name is Lauren. I'm a deacon here at Mercy View. And tonight we'll be reading Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. This is the word of the Lord. I remembered not to hit the microphone until I got up here this week, so your ears are welcome. Um, I told Brad this week that we should have scheduled this to be on the family worship Sunday uh, because my kids need to hear this. <laughs> but all of us do as well. Hey, Mercy View, uh, how you doing tonight? Hope we're doing well. Um, if we haven't had a chance to meet, uh, my name's Trey. I am on staff here. Um, the deacon for discipleship. Um, we're going to be diving into the fifth commandment, what we just read there in Exodus 12 or 2012 uh, this evening. Um, we're in a series. We've been in a series since the, about the beginning of May through the Ten Commandments, looking at what God has to say to us, uh, the way he presses on how uh, we are to live our lives. Uh, growing up, I, I had what I've, I've come to think is a pretty rare experience, a, a rare, rare privilege I should say, um, I, I actually got to know um, both of my uh, grandmother and my grandfather on my mom and dad's side. Um, and in addition to that, um, I also got to know my mom's mom, her parents, both of them. Uh, they lived into their 90s. So I, I had a, a relationship and I have memories with my great-grandparents on one side, which I, just... I haven't ever done a study on this, but I'm pretty sure most people just don't have that experience, and especially not when uh, your mom's like the baby, 12 years younger than her oldest sibling, um, and her grandparents were already in well into their 80s uh, before I was ever born. Um, and so I got a chance to hang out with them and got to meet them um, and got to see them. And some of my earliest memories are driving up to their old home place outside of this little town called Hamburg, Ar Hamburg Arkansas. Um, spending time hanging out at their place, walking up on their old rickety porch, uh, hanging out in their kitchen, being really confused as to why they didn't have a TV and we couldn't watch like something on the television. We had to sit and like play dominoes all day. Um, and, and actually the first funeral I ever remember going to is that for uh, my big papaw. Yeah, their names were Big Papaw, Big Memo, most southern grandparent names you can possibly think of, right? And I remember going to that funeral and I remember after that funeral, not too long after that, uh, my, my granddaddy and my grandma moved Big, uh, big Memo and my, my grandma's sister, Aunt Mag, to my grandma's house. And they came and they lived up there and they had some property and so they put a double wide on that property and kind of gave a place and a house for them to live on. Um, and then there were periods of time where they were living there and then there were periods of time where they weren't really able to, to even care for themselves that much a few hundred yards away from the main house, and they were living in my grandma's house. And even after Big Memo passed away, Aunt Mag still lived with my grandma up until like 2015 when she passed away, um, because when she was five years old, she had gotten scarlet fever, and developmentally, she never um, aged past seven, and so she was always in need of care from uh, my grandma her entire life. And there was one day, I remember it was, uh, my mom was just telling me how exhausted, how tired my grandmother was, and, and how she just was so wore out. And the big reason was she was still caring for her ailing sister. And she had been for the last 
15 years caring for her mother who lived into her 90s. And I asked the question, I was like, why does she continue to do this when it's negatively affecting her own health at this point? Where she's, she's tired and she's struggling because she's aging as well. And my mom's answer to me was essentially honor. Before my great-grandfather had passed away, he asked my grandma if she would be sure to care for her mom and for her sister. Before my uh, great-grandmother passed away, she asked my grandma if she would make sure that her sister always had a place with her. And so at great cost to herself and, and sacrifice on her end, she did it. She honored the wishes of her parents because there was something about that honor that, that mattered deeply to her. And I bring up my grandma's story because I think that it helps us frame the way that the fifth commandment presses on us. Not because it's the way that you are, have to live to honor your parents. Like th There is a ton of ways in which she could have done things maybe a little bit differently. But there was something inside of her that caused her to push aside some of the uh, inconvenience of caring for her mom, of caring for her sister, and endure. And so here's what the fifth commandment presses on us, and I think this illustrates it. It is a good thing to show honor to our parents. Like if one day my grandma got to the point where she wasn't able to care for my aunt, like it's not like it would have been a dishonorable thing for her to admit her own weakness and make a really hard decision. Like that would have been an honorable thing. But there was this extra bit of gumption that she had, this extra drive that kept her and continues to keep her, even now that my Aunt Mag is gone, fighting to keep her word. Even at the cost of herself, honor mattered. And it matters to her. And so we said this last week, and I think it bears repeating this week. The Ten Commandments, by and large, are God's way of pressing on us a truth that in our culture we, we often deny. Because we buy into a lie that says the opposite. But the truth is, we do not belong to ourselves. And what the Ten Commandments are going to keep reminding us, as we've already seen throughout this series, is that God, he requires some things of us. There's some obligations, some responsibilities that we have to him in order to live in a way that's ultimately pleasing to him. And as we turn this week into what's been historically called the second table of the law, the, the part of the Ten Commandments that have to do with how we interact with other people, what we're going to see is that there's some obligations and some responsibilities that we have to other people, to one another, specifically as the family of God, that God's going to require of us. In the Ten Commandments, what we see is that God has a standard of moral and ethical behavior that's comprised of both vertical, so like the way we relate to him, and horizontal responsibilities and obligations. So the last few weeks, what we've been examining is our vertical responsibility to God, fleshed out in the way we live our lives by honoring him. This week, what we're doing is we're making the turn into these horizontal responsibilities to one another. And that starts here in the fifth commandment. And so tonight, 
I want to out the gate answer the question, what does it mean to keep the fifth commandment? And then we're just going to look at two just broad categories of where the fifth commandment calls us to live with honor in our lives and how we can do that. So here's the first thing that we need to do. We need to answer the question, what does it mean to keep the fifth commandment? So let's look at the commandment again. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 23-word sentence. There's six words of this imperative command and then 17 words of a promise being provided. And it's pretty straightforward. Honor your parents. And if you do, there's implied that there's this, this hope for a long and fulfilled life if we honor our parents. But there's more to it than just doing what mom and dad say. God's laying the groundwork and foundation for commandments 6 through 10 here in this one. Because in learning to honor our parents, what we're doing as children, what we're doing as we carry that over into the rest of life, is we're learning to honor anyone and everyone else in the broader society at large. And so as we look at the rest of the commands, we look at commandment number 6, do not murder. That's rooted in learning to honor mom and dad. Do not commit adultery. It's rooted in learning to honor your parents. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not covet. These are rooted. They're grounded in learning to honor and respect authority because respect for authority begins to foster in us a kind of respect and honor for others. And so that's why the early church father, Augustine, said, if anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he'll spare? The answer is probably not. So Philip Ryken, uh, he's a theologian, he commented on this text uh, in, in the commentary he wrote going through the fifth commandment, that God intends for the family to be our first hospital, our first school, first government, first church. If we do not respect authority at home, we're not going to respect authority anywhere. And so good parents are the first people that ever care for us. Like good parents are the first people to ever give us their time and their energy to pour into our lives. And I know in this room there's examples of good parents, there's examples of people who've got this right, and I know that because of the number of people in this room, there's examples of parents who have failed at that miserably. Yet by and large, our parents are the first people in our lives who deserve to receive honor from us, and it's in learning to honor them as imperfect as they are that we learn to honor in every other circumstance in life. And so honor, that's, that's what's in view, and that's what's at stake as we consider this commandment. And it's broader and it's deeper than just doing what mom and dad say. What does it mean to honor? It means to give something weight. It means to, to ascribe worth to it. The word used here in the Ten Commandments, the Hebrew word is the word kabod, and it means heavy or weighty. There's a weightiness to it. Most often that word in the Old Testament is going to be used to describe the presence and the glory of God. But there's a weightiness. And it's what's underneath each and every command. Because another way to frame Jesus' summation of the law, where he says, essentially, love God, love your neighbor is to exchange that word love with the word honor. 
Like if we're going to honor God and we're going to honor our neighbor, it's, it's the same as to say that we're going to love them. I love how Jen Wilkin puts it. She says, honor is an expression of rightly ordered love. When we love as we should, we honor the object of our love as we should. Because love produces honor. And if we're growing in our love and affection for God in Jesus Christ, then we're going to be growing in our desire and our activity of honoring him. And if we're doing that, we're going to be growing in our love for our neighbor. And if we're going to love our neighbor, and if we're loving our neighbor the way that God intends for us to, then we're going to be, by default, desiring to show honor to them. Does that make sense why Jesus sums the law up in the command to love God and love our neighbor? And so there's this weightiness attached to this command. There's a weightiness that's attached to the authority of parents in our lives. It's a lot more obvious when we're young. But God's not just talking to kids here. That's our default, I think, when we think about this commandment, when we read it in Exodus 20, is to think about it as it relates to small children, which is why I joked at the beginning, I told Brad that, man, I wish my kids were in here, right? Because they need to know this. And that's true, but as, as we think about this command, honor your father and mother is, is not just for kids who need to learn to eat their dinner, brush their teeth, and go to bed when mom and dad say. I'm 100% projecting like what's happening in my house every day onto that sentence too. And it's true, this command is for small children who need to learn to honor mom and dad and respect their authority. We see that clearly in Ephesians 6. That Paul's saying, hey, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Yet who's the primary audience in Exodus 20? Like as Moses comes down from the mountain carrying the tablets, like who are the people that he's coming to give them to and ultimately that he's going to see worshiping a golden cow? It's not the kids. No, it's the adults. That he's talking to adults. And so if Moses is talking to adults in Exodus 20, then as we start to unpack this and look at this, we've got to realize that he's talking to us. Because the vast majority of us in the room tonight, we're adults. And so what does it look like for us to show honor? This is a command around the way that God desires for families to function, yes. But if the quote that I read from Philip Ryken earlier is true, then honoring familial authority is just the tip of the iceberg of what God is after in the fifth commandment. In the fifth commandment, God is establishing the basis not just for how families should be ordered, but for our entire social order at large. Like good and just societies are governed by a kind of honor and respect that quelches this fallen yearning we have for anarchy. And so what does it mean to keep the fifth commandment? Here is, is just a single sentence definition we keep the fifth commandment when we give honor to those in authority at home and in society at large. The way that we keep the fifth commandment is by giving honor to those who honor is due to those in authority at home and in society at large. It's the interpretation that uh, is rooted in scripture and it's rooted in church history. I read from it last week, but uh, the, the Heidelberg Catechism 
written in the 17th century. It says this in question 104. Last week we read question one. We're going to skip ahead a little bit, right? Question 104 is what does God require in the fifth commandment? And this is the answer. That I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and mother and all in authority over me and submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience and also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. And so as a child, the way that I learned to honor mom and dad at home, it's going to determine how I treat authority throughout the rest of my life. And as a parent, the way that I show honor to those in authority over me, it's going to show my kids that I actually believe what I'm telling them when I say that they need to honor my authority. That just as a Christian, like whether you're a parent or not, showing honor to authority, especially when it's socially acceptable to just kind of ignore or downplay that responsibility, it shows a watching world that allegiance to Christ really does affect our day-to-day behavior. So that's what it means to, to keep the fifth commandment, showing honor to whom honor is due at home and in society at large. And so two ways, practically, that we can begin to live this out. I, I want to first address um, the way in which that we can honor those who have, one, lived longer than us. So we think our parents, right? But I, I, it, it's broader than just your parents. And there's a kind of honor that God wants us to have for those who are a little bit further down the road than us. And then we're going to briefly talk about honoring those that God has placed in authority over us as well. So with that, what does it mean? How do we honor those who have lived longer than we have? Now, there's a story in 1 Kings chapter 12 that uh, is really, I, I think it really captures what it looks like when this command is disobeyed. And so in 1 Kings 12, King Solomon, David's son, has died. And up until this point, the kingdom of, of Israel, it was united together and things were going really well. Like under Solomon, it had expanded far beyond what even David could have imagined. And, and Solomon dies, and in his place, his son Rehoboam becomes the king. And when he becomes king, like very soon after, there's a guy who who leads a group of people to him. His name's Jeroboam. And he comes to him and he says, hey, listen, uh, king, I know you just got into the job, but um, your dad was super harsh to us. Like he was very heavy-handed with us. He had a heavy yoke weighing on us. And listen, we, just, we can't keep doing that. Like we're going to have some problems if that continues. Um, can you loosen the weight that we have to bear? And if you do, we will serve you forever. And Rehoboam hears this and he goes, I have no idea how to answer that. I like just became king last week. Like I've been doing this all of five minutes. Let me think about it. Give me three days. And the first thing he does in those three days is he calls in the old men who used to sit on the council with his father. Fantastic decision. But he calls them in and he asks for their advice. And they say, king, listen. We think that the best course of action would actually be to heed what they're saying, loosen their burden, and if you do that, they're going to serve you forever. 
And these would be guys that you would want to listen to. Like, not only are they the older men who have been living longer, who've actually been sitting around the halls of power for a really long time, probably longer than he's been alive, but they were like the counselors to his father, Solomon, who was like the wisest man who ever lived. And so he hears their advice, and he doesn't quite know what he thinks about it. And so we read in verse 8 of 1 Kings chapter 12, that he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him. And do you know what their counsel was? It was to stroke his ego and to make him feel like he was actually really important and that he didn't need to listen to these guys at all. They said, oh, these guys come to you and they're complaining about the workload that your father gave them. Well, this is what you should say. Go tell them that your little finger is larger than your father's thigh. And if his burden was heavy, just wait. Like, mine's going to be even worse. And so you know what happens? He brings these people in. He listens to the counsel of the young men. He tells them this, and Jeroboam and the people who were with him revolted, and the kingdom split in half. Because he didn't heed the advice of people who had lived long enough to know a thing or two. As a general rule, age brings wisdom. Like anybody who's ever had a conversation with a five-year-old knows that there's some wisdom that comes from just having lived a little bit longer. Like this was illustrated perfectly yesterday. Like we're getting ready to leave and go watch some races down at Guthrie Green. And Eliora says to me, Dad, if I had my bike, I could get out there and race faster than any of those guys. She says, I can even run faster. Watch. And she runs very slowly around the couch. And so we get to the bike races. We're there. We watch them for a little bit. And as we get into the car, I just didn't really, I didn't, really, I just acknowledge, didn't acknowledge it. But we get into the car. And as we're driving away, she goes, hey, Dad, I couldn't have ridden any faster than those guys on those bikes. Right? Because she learned something. <laughs> like, before we left the house, there was this gumption. There was this bravado. There was this, like, feeling that she could be as good as those guys. That's five-year-old, right? She realized, oh, wait a second. Wait a second, maybe that's not true. And that's what we see happening in life, right? Like, youth brings this passion and this zeal, this desire to stretch and to push, the bravado to think that you can actually do anything. And that can be a really good thing. And it can often also lead to just ignoring the wisdom of those who've lived long enough to know and see what you can't see. Like age brings perspective and it brings a kind of wisdom that we should heed. And so in a single sentence, the way I think that we can most faithfully honor those who have lived longer than us and obey the fifth commandment, it's this. We honor those who have lived longer than we have by taking the time to hear their counsel and carefully weigh their advice. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Older women as mothers. Grown kids taking counsel with their parents, listening to their advice. That's a way to bring encouragement. Like anyone in the room who has grown kids, I think they would tell you that 
if their kids came to them and they just said, hey, mom, hey, dad, I just need some advice. Like, one, they're going to be happy to give the advice, but, man, they're going to be so encouraged that their kids want to come back to them and ask for that. And Paul says we need to be an encouragement here. So when's the last time that you just, like, called your parents to check in? Just to see how they were doing. Like, what about the last time that you showed them gratitude for maybe all the big things that they've done in your life? Maybe just for something small that you remember that they've done. Maybe you remember a conversation where you were an idiot and they were patient. Just call them and be grateful. We honor our parents when we're grateful for their strengths. And we honor them when we're quick to forgive them for their weaknesses. You know how you can honor your parents? You can eat some crow. Now you can call them and admit when you realize, man, I was wrong about this. And I don't think that I've ever confessed to you the way in which that I was rebellious or the way in which that I was disobedient here or the way in which that this had taken place. Like in your late teens and early 20s, you start to realize just how much mom and dad actually knew and understood. Like you start to realize that maybe there was something to the things that they said. And it only gets worse the longer we go, Right? And so as adults, we honor our parents when we're willing to say that we're sorry, that we were wrong. And I said this briefly, but you, you can honor them when you seek their counsel. Like when you have a major life decision on the horizon, like as an adult, you get to make that decision. But I mean, there is a, there's something that's honoring. There's something that says, hey, like I value you and your counsel. When you go to your parents and you say, hey, this is coming up, just wonder what you think. Just wondering what's happening here. Like maybe that's a way that you can show honor to them. Not in a room this size, but there's bound to be more than a couple examples of parents who just, they aren't great. Maybe they weren't in the picture. Maybe they were just flat out wicked. And honor in that case looks a lot different. And it may, in fact, look more like just entrusting your pain and your hurt to Christ and walking in the freedom that, from bitterness and, and resentment that he can bring to you. Like it, it doesn't necessarily look like this kind of relational on, like honor that we're talking about here. It could just look like loving them well enough to turn over that hurt to Jesus. It's not to say healing can't take place, but it's to acknowledge that there's a, a kind of pain it means it's not given. And so maybe it isn't your parents. Maybe, maybe that's not the way that you can actually practice the fifth commandment for some circumstances outside of your control. But is there someone that God has put in your life that's relationally further down the road than you? That's lived a little bit longer and you can show honor to them seeking their advice. Like, is there somebody that you're walking with? Is there somebody here in the church that loves the Lord, that loves you, and that would find it to be an honor if you came to them and said, hey, listen, I know that I have a lot to learn, and I just trust your thoughts, and I trust your opinion. Would you mind giving me a little bit of advice here? As believers, we should seek to have relationships with someone, with people in the church that are older, that are wiser than we are, that have been a little bit further down the road than we have. 
And I know that that's like uniquely kind of a hard thing for us here at Mercy View because like our average age is quite a bit younger, right? And so like, you know, our older folks are like in their late 30s. Like, you know, it's like we don't have a ton of folks who are like in their 50s and 60s even fewer in their 70s. And so, like, when we think about those who are older, those who are wiser, like, I think the natural image is those with gray hairs. And that might not just be the case. Like, maybe you're 25 and there's a guy who's 45. Listen, that 20 years makes a difference. Like, learn from them. Learn from people and seek their advice. That shows honor. That there is a lot of godly wisdom to be found in the lives of saints here. I can say that from personal experience. Like I've had multiple opportunities to be enriched and encouraged and hopefully to encourage those who have lived longer than me here at Mercy View. And their wisdom is worth seeking out. Came across this quote from uh, Puritan pastor uh, Thomas Watson. Uh, he lived back in the 17th century and, and he said this, and I thought it was just so uh, a beautiful way to encapsulate what it looks like to honor men and women who have lived longer than us. And he's, he's writing specifically about men, uh, but I think we could, we could apply it to, to men and women as well. He says, those older men are especially to be honored who are fathers not only for their seniority, but for their piety, whose souls are flourishing when their bodies are decaying. Is it, it is a blessed sight to see springs of grace in the winter of old age. To see men stooping toward the grave, yet going uphill toward God. To see them lose their color, yet keep their savor. Those whose silver hairs are crowned with righteousness are worthy of double honor. They're to be honored not only as pieces of antiquity, but as patterns of virtue. If you see an old man fearing God, whose grace shines brightest when the sun of his life is setting, honor him as a father by reverencing and imitating him. We honor those godly men and women who've lived longer than us by imitating them as they imitate Christ. We can honor them by becoming like them someday. So here's the second point. This is the second point of application. Um, we honor those who are in positions of authority. This is the second broader point that is being made here in the fifth commandment. Um, and that feels like a landmine to kind of talk about right now uh, today in not just our political climate, but in the church. Because um, there are a lot of examples over the last few years and over the last few weeks even of uh, people in institutional and positional authority abusing that. That's just a reality that we face right now. That's something that's happening right now. And, and our institutional trust is kind of shot. So for a lot of really good reasons, I, I think we need to acknowledge that because that stuff has happened. But then we also have to wrestle with the broader implications of this text from Exodus 20. That honoring our father and mother, it's a microcosm, it's a piece of what it means to learn to honor anyone who would hold positional authority in our lives. From the government to those that God has given us to lead in the church, God's desire is for us to honor authorities. And he, he spells this out plainly throughout Scripture. I think nowhere clearer than Romans chapter 13, where Paul says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. 
And Paul is writing this to Christians who were facing not a really good democratic democracy that really uh, cared about what the people thought. He was writing in the middle of Rome to a church in a city where he would eventually be beheaded because the government was trying to stamp out and quash Christianity. And he writes these words. And so I think we can take comfort in knowing that God is aware, even if we don't understand why, he's aware that there are certain people, institutions, governments, they rise and they maintain a place of prominence and power, and they're wicked. And we don't know why. We don't know why God allows that, why that happens. But what we do know is that throughout Scripture, what we see is that in the end, God is always going to be faithful to rain justice on their heads. Whether they're wicked rulers in the world or wickedness in the church. Now, we have the advantage of living in a country where certain freedoms exist that allow us to push back against injustice and push back against wickedness. Again, the government, through the way we vote, through the freedom to protest and to organize against certain political parties or policies or leaders, it's unique in history. And yet, we're at the same time confronted with the fact that even if the people in power, they're not worthy of honor, what they represent is. They represent the fact that God is sovereign over the way that world affairs work. And they're only there because of his sovereignty. And so we show them respect in the way that we talk, in the way that we act, in the way that we push back. That's the negative side of the command and of the imperative. But positively, what does it mean to show honor to those in authority over us? And so we can honor those in positional authority by humbly submitting. This is far easier in a context where you know and trust that those in positional authority are good and godly leaders. But we can honor positional authority through the way that we speak about and to our leaders with other people, especially when we disagree. So here's what I want us to land at today, and here's where I'm just going to bring it to a close. It's with an exhortation. The exhortation to parents and in the way in which that we can train and teach this to our kids. Part of your role as a parent is to teach and disciple your children. Right? Jesus says in the Great Commission that he's sending us out to make disciples of every nation, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all I've commanded. Fifth commandment is baked into that. And if you're like me, then you want and you know two things. You want to be the kind of parent that in 20 years your kids are going to find joy in showing honor to. And the second thing is that you know your own weakness, your frailty, and the moments where you are living unworthy of their honor. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 4 and Colossians 3, 21, it's pretty much the same thing in both. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We want to be the kind of people that our kids want to honor with the honor of encouragement. We need to live this way. And it's a hard charge for us as parents. I've mentioned it a couple times. I've got a five and a two-year-old, and it seems like every single day there's something that happens that's stoking my flesh 
And my knee-jerk reaction is I want to respond to them in frustration. My flesh wants to respond to them like them. That's what Paul's trying to get underneath. It's not the way that God desires for fathers and mothers to live toward their children. We're not to provoke them, but we're supposed to gently push and lead them toward goodness and godliness. In our parenting, God is calling us to a kind of firm gentleness. And there are times and ways that we're supposed to discipline, moments where that firm and direct response is necessary. Yet at all times, there is a meekness required that leads our children to be encouraged by correction, not discouraged by our mood. Honor doesn't come natural. It has to be taught. And one of the ways that we teach this is by being the kind of moms and dads that can find joy, that kids can find joy in honoring. It doesn't mean we get it right every time. Shoot, it doesn't maybe even mean that we get it right half the time. You're going to be tired. You're going to be impatient. You're going to be stubborn. And your reaction in response to minor things and major things, it's going to have to be brought under the blood of Jesus. And if you're going to be the kind of father, the kind of mother that doesn't provoke your kids to discouragement, then you're going to have to own it. You're going to have to own it with them. Like I had to do that this morning. I was cranky this morning. Got up, wasn't in a great mood. And I had to bring my kids to me and I had to say, hey, listen, dad is a sinner. And I sin against God and I sin against you. I'm really sorry. You forgive me for my attitude. See, raising kids that obey the fifth commandment comes from being willing to obey it and honor them just as much as we hope they honor us. Show them how to honor by honoring them through your recognition of your own weakness. Know that there's grace for you. Like know that in Christ, your sins have been covered. And you can walk with your kids in that way. If the way in which that you have been living toward your parents, or maybe toward those in your life who are further along than you, or maybe toward those in authority over you, is in such a way that you you hear this tonight and you go, man, I have not been living up to what God would call me to. Listen, there is grace for you. It's found at the foot of the cross. It's found here as we take the bread and we take the wine here in just a few moments. We come to Jesus repentant and contrite. You honor him with your willingness to admit your weakness and lean into his grace for you. And he'll help you walk out and live out this command. Let's pray tonight.